you singing out there in the back row? We need some work. Let's just be honest. We, we need a little work on our, on our acapella. Do you know the tradition and history of our church is that they never had instruments at any services, right? How many of you have been in a, grew up in a church and they never had any instruments? Right? Yeah, they're, okay, we've got some traditionals out there. And, uh, you know, it is a spiritual thing to sing out. I love instruments as well. But then if, I'm a horrible musician and I can't sing very well. But I enjoy singing when somebody next to me is on key. And so when I go in the back, no one's singing, so I always hear myself. So that's not good. And if you're not good, you don't want, you know, you need somebody around you who is singing. So I want to urge the back row people that you got to repent and come sit by people who can sing on key. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't know. But I think when we do a cappella, I think we, we all got to crowd together really close, right? So you kind of blend in. And then if you can sing, then you got to sing loud. Now, some of us think we can sing. And you sing loud because you think you can sing. Now, the Lord says he likes a joyful noise. And so I'll go with that. If you think you can sing and you like singing, you know what? We'll, we'll work with you. You know, maybe we can, we'll put somebody near you to kind of blend your voice into somebody else's, right? That's the way to do it. I can sing loud. I like being loud, but I've got to stand next to somebody who sings on key or else it's bad. And I kind of, I go soft at first and then I, and then once I kind of, they're on key and I hear it, then I blend in and I get loud with them, right? You don't want to, if you know you can't sing well, you gotta, you gotta start off quiet kind of, right? And then you build up once the key starts, right? Once you're on the, the, the right note. You guys, I'm giving you a little lesson here on how to sing a cappella. Amen. We gotta work on this. I'm making a commitment to that. Thank you, Art and EJ for coordinating all the singers and all the four part harmonies going on. We need to work. People are amazed when they come and everyone's actually singing. You bring a friend and everybody's singing and they're like, wow, you can sing. And you're like, well, not really. I'm blending in. Right. But I think that, that, that we need to have a heart. And, and as we move forward in our worship, as we go on through the years to come, I really want us to, to be known as a group that can sing. I, I, we, we've got to work on that. Amen, everybody here. Today. I know Art and the whole team has a plan to get us to sing together loud and clear. We're going to continue to, you know, use instruments, yes. But we want to blend in some great acapella at times, too. And when you see an acapella song, stand up, you know, proud and sing loud. Use my advice, sing loud once you get on key. And then just belt it on out. Amen. I want us to have a great worship uh, every day. And singing certainly helps. Do you guys sing in the mornings on your quiet times? You sing in the car? How many of you sang in the, the car on the way here? Okay, good, good. I like that. A lot, a lot of the men are like, sing in the car on the way here. Who does that? You'd be surprised, you know. I used to sing in the car by myself. That's the only time I would like to sing, right? Because no one could hear me. And uh, But it's good. Singing lifts the spirits, right? Singing moves our heart closer to God. God intended it that way. So, we're spiritual beings, and there's something about music that, that moves us, in, and it can get us in really the right place spiritually. And that's part of the plan. So I hope you enjoy that. We're going to sing a little more before the day's out, and we're going to continue to sing till we go to heaven. And then in heaven, we find that they are singing in heaven. You find in the scriptures, they are singing praises to God in heaven. So we've got to learn to sing now so we can sing in heaven. You know, last week I talked about being willing or willful. And that was part one. Today I'm doing part two. Willing or willful. All right, part two. Today's lesson, willing or willful, part two. Last week, even after the lesson on being willing to be what God asks, I had a bad day. You guys ever have a bad day? I had a really bad day. It was Wednesday. It was just a bad day. 
I woke up and, and just tried to get things together for the day. I don't think I read too much. I prayed a little bit with my kids on the way to school. But then I had a lot of things to do. And I, I didn't pray enough that day, just a little with my children as I was dropping them off. But then I had a lot of stuff on my plate. And you ever have so much on your plate, so many responsibilities, so your to-do list is so big, right? You ever feel that, that you don't want to do anything? That's how I felt. I, I had so much to do, so many responses, so many things I felt like were piled up on my desk, literally, but also figuratively, that I was like, I don't want to do anything. And so I started off and I just, I didn't feel well. I wasn't physically sick. I, I was just emotionally just not into it. I, I felt bad. You ever have that? And I was like, oh, I don't want to do anything. And I got too much to do. And I got appointments I can't get to. And I got things I got to get done. And how am I going to do it? I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the day was not going well. And I basically didn't go down to my early appointments. I had a phone appointment with Big Nick. It was our tea time. And I was like, oh, okay, what am I going to do now? And I was struggling a little bit. I was wrestling with what I wanted. In my being, I wanted to just go and do things that were just totally non-productive. I wanted to just be sinful. I just wanted to, or I wanted to just go watch a movie or something. You know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just, I didn't have it. You ever get to a point where you just didn't have it? You just felt like, I don't want to do what I know I need to do. And I kind of languished part of the day. Now, gratefully, I pulled out of it because I had scheduled an event at my house. A team Bible talk was at my house. And so I had to give and serve and preach and love up on the teens. And they got my heart going. And Kyle brought a bunch of his friends. And teens came over. And so I pulled out of the bad day by the, by the early evening. But I needed to have some spiritual event going on. If I hadn't scheduled that, I don't know, I would have wasted the whole day away. You ever been there? I share that just so I'm telling you my sin because I, I want to relate to you a little bit. I want us to all know we're all, we have trouble. We have struggles. We all need to have a willing spirit. But oftentimes we don't. And I want to talk about that a little bit today and how to overcome that. And I want to look at the willing spirit that God wants us to have. Let's go to God in prayer. I do want to say a special prayer. I just got note. Uh, I just got note that Kenya uh, Turner, her brother, was killed in a tragic accident this morning. So I'm going to go to God in prayer and pray for him and pray for the family, rather. And, um, you know, certainly that will be on our hearts. We need to have a willing spirit to, to walk with God because we don't know our days are numbered. Tomorrow's not promised. We don't know. Uh, there's great tragedy all, am, all among us. And I want to pray right now for our hearts to be ready to receive God's word and pray for the, God to minister to, to Kenya and Rashim and their family. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning, this time to be together to worship you. Father, thank you for how you love us in spite of our bad days, how you love us in spite of our, when we don't have the heart to be or act the way we need to. And Father, we need you desperately. Father, our world needs you desperately. Father, I want to pray right now for Kenya and Rashim and this terrible tragedy. And we know tomorrow is not promised for any of us. And we ask that you would minister to that family, minister to them, and allow them to reveal you even through tragedy. And we ask right now that you would speak to us, open our hearts, help us to grasp your will. Help us to have a heart to live according to your will. Give us a willing spirit. Grant us that spirit to sustain us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Point number one, simply be willing. Be willing. See, God wants willing hearts. And I want to begin by sharing with you, if we know the Old Testament, God's plan from the beginning of time was to move us 
as individuals to serve him and live for him and to have a relationship with him. And, and the, the beginning of history demonstrates that God's plan is to help us be willing You know, you look at the history of the Old Testament, and we know the sin of the world caused the flood in the days of Noah. And they they flooded the earth, right? God flooded the earth, and he started anew. He started fresh with willing hearts. Later on, we find that the Israelites were oppressed by Egypt, which was symbolic of, of the sin of the world, how the sins, Egypt is symbolic for the sins that oppress us. It was oppressing the Israelites. And so God, in his mercy, not because the people deserved it, But in his mercy, he drew them out, had Moses lead them out of the nation and save them by washing away the entire Egyptian army. Isn't that what happens to us when we become Christians? God draws us out of a darkness, out of an emptiness, out of a worldliness. He he draws us out. How? Somebody invited us. Somebody met us. Somebody unveiled the word of God. Somebody that we didn't ask for is sent into our life. Or maybe it's your mom and dad and you didn't ask for that. You just got your mom and dad. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's somebody you met cold contact. They just came up to you out of the blue. God in his mercy draws us out of the oppression of the world, the darkness, the emptiness of sin. And washes it away in the waters of baptism, just like he did with the Israelites and in Egypt, right? And when they come out, there's a heart, a willingness. And, you know, the Egyptians, I mean, the uh, Israelites, if you study the history in Exodus, they went astray very quickly. Even after the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites, after they were new people, they were told, here's how you're going to live. You're a new nation. Here's my commandments. And Moses was up talking to God, and in the meantime, they started worshiping false idols. Aaron led them astray. They turned from God very, very quickly. So, But he was going to forgive them. Moses prayed for them. And we come upon Exodus chapter 35. This is after they had sinned again, but then God forgave them. And then he gave them a plan to build a, a, a tabernacle, a sanctuary among them. And it was a physical, basically, tent church meeting that they were going to have where they worshipped God. And he gave them all the detailed plans. And he told them, see, people need a purpose in their life. They need, they need to realize they have been called out of this darkness in order to serve something big. There's a reason for you to be here. If we don't have something to do, we're not, you know, we're not willing to do anything good. We need to be given a great purpose in life to have some natural motivation. And God understood that. And so he gave them detailed plans of how to build the the, the tabernacle, which is the sanctuary, which now if you parallel that to our world, that's the spiritual, the church. That's the family of God, right? The, The tabernacle of God is not the building. Nowadays, it's the family of God, right? It's the it's the kingdom of people who are willing to serve Jesus. But in their day, it was something physical, which was going to be a model for what we're going to live by. And he gives them this. And I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter 35. And we find here something about the hearts of the people that I find very encouraging. Exodus 35, look in verse 4. He says, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. And then it goes on with an assorted number of other things that they needed to bring. But he says, everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord these offerings. Now skip on down to verse 21. Chapter 35, skip on down to verse 21. He says, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him 
came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the sacred garments. Verse 22 says, All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold, jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. All the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. God was looking for willing hearts to build the tent of meeting where where they would meet with God, where they would get to be with God, where he would guide them and be before them. All who were willing. And notice how amazing this was. There were a lot of people willing. Look over in chapter 36. Skip over down to chapter 36. Look in verse 2. It says, Then Moses summoned Bezalel uh, uh, and Ohilab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. So he summoned who? Those that had the skill and those that were willing to come and do the work. He is summoning you. In fact, in our generation, God is summoning all people to come to do the work on his sanctuary. In verse 3, it says, They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. And if you notice there, what's amazing is that in verse, look down in the end of verse 5, it says, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work God commanded to be done. They were doing more than was needed. They had willing hearts. Even though they had turned from God, but when he gave them a great plan to build something, they had willing hearts. And I believe that inside each one of us is a willing heart. It's in there. Deep in you is a willing heart to glorify God, to do something transcendent with your life. To build something to the honor of God beyond what will last in the days or seen with the eyes. He wants you to do something great with your life. And inside you is a willing heart. Sadly, often it gets clouded by things. And the history of the Bible and the history of our lives is that our willingness easily dissipates. We're going to talk a little bit about why that happens. But I'm encouraged to see that they brought so much at this time that they had more than enough. They had to tell them, stop bringing free will offerings. So much is being done. And as a congregation, God certainly has blessed our congregation, built it up. There's great things going on. There's so many things we're doing across the globe that are very exciting. And I want to hold up the congregation right now. You have willing hearts in your deep down in there. Some of you, it's, it's, it's very obvious to the congregation, wow, what a willing heart. And we see it going on. I'm so grateful for teen ministry servants, right? How much they do. The Bartels brothers, right? Serving. And their wives. Rob and Ira serving in the teens. I believe it's Ira's birthday, right? Awesome. She's awesome. 
Tad and, uh, Chad and uh, Deja. Willing to serve. Married couple. I'll, I'll get in there. I want to serve the teens. Team ministry can be an awesome blessing, but it can be challenging too. I'm really great. Of course, uh, Jake and Kelsey aren't here right now, but willing to serve. Hey, where do you need us? Send us there. We're ready to go. I think they are uniquely skilled, gifted. They, they've been summoned by God for their skill. Having grown up uh, as children of, of people in the church uh, and, and having struggles, so many struggles. You'll get to hear the struggles, teens, of Jake and Kelsey, and that will help you because they have overcome. They're uniquely skilled, but they're also willing. Willing hearts. God is looking for willing hearts Today in this congregation, he's looking for willing people. We had an incredible training program in the campus ministry called Leadership in Training. Man, I am so proud of the campus ministry, but not only the campus ministry, of the whole church, of the marrieds in the church, of the edge ministry in the church. I'm, I'm proud of them all. Now, the, the leaders in training program, here's why I'm so proud of it. The marrieds ministry served in this regard by opening up their homes. Uh, Don and Jennifer opened their homes and, and shared their, their knowledge and wisdom to our campus leaders to help them know how can you be spiritual moving forward? What's it going to take to do the work of the Lord? Sharing their experiences. I'm so grateful for the willing heart. I'm so grateful for the stadnesses serving in the edge ministry, but also being willing to, oh, hey, you want me to preach and teach and share to the campus? I'll do that as well. I'm so grateful for the leadership in the campus ministry. He said, whatever we got to do, we will do. And here's the thing that really got me. Uh, yesterday we had our closeout little breakfast for the edge, uh, for the campus leaders and training program. And several of the younger college students were running after me saying, Steve, can I be a Bible talk leader? Can, can I be an assistant? They, they're willing hearts. What can I do? I want to do more. Amen. And we had an incredible uh, Friday night. Amen. Let's give it up. I really appreciate that. Appreciate that. Willing hearts. But I don't want to end there. I want to share. We have willing hearts in here. We are a willing group. Within the uh, edge ministry, our singles and young marries, we call that our edge ministry, they started off an a, uh, internship training program for the fall. And yesterday was the kickoff. And I believe we had, where's my sheet right, Kyle, can you hand me that sheet of paper right there? I want to read the names of these people. That, that's the one right there. Thank you very much. I want to read off the names of the people we had open to anyone wanting to be trained. No, this is not it. Okay, well, you know what? Um, we'll just have to go with my notes right here, which I think I might have missed a few, but hopefully I got, them, I got them correct. Listen to this. We had quite a few people willing to go for our internship training program for the L.A. Church Right here in our congregation, we had Matt willing to go, Matt Jackstis. We had Sophia, Rose, Caroline, Desiree, Stephanie, Lucia, Kimberly, Melissa, Shanae, Crystal. And then after, you know, I knew this thing was going on, I was talking to some of the campus students. One of the campus guys is moving into the edge ministry, and he just finished the leadership and training program with a willing heart. And then he, and then he was now going to move in. That was his final event with the campus, and he's moving to the edge. And I said, you know, there's an edge training, too. It's going to be every Saturday. Can you make it? And he goes, ah, they told me about that. I think I'm going to go. I'm ready. I'm going to do that one, too. And so that's Ryan Moyo. He'll be moving in. I'm so grateful for Ryan. He's going to serve. What a willing heart. That is the kind of heart God desires. Now, if you notice when I read, there were a lot of women on the list, weren't there? All right, brothers. I think you need to hear that. The, there were like 10 willing sisters. I got calls all week long because I just said, anyone wants to go, let me know. If you're willing, we want you to be a part of it. And a lot of sisters are very willing. I want to hold them up. The women are very spiritual. 
they have a heart. They just want to do great things for God. And our men do as well. I know they do. They serve in all kinds of ways. But I do think, men, that's sort of like, okay, we had one, and we have a future, another one. But we had ten and one. Ten and one. You do the math. Men, we need to pray. Okay, Congress, we need to pray. Men, we, we got to, where's the willing heart? Nobody is being made. It's a willing issue. And I know we have willing hearts. Church, God loves a willing heart. He loves it. That's what he's looking for. That's what he desires. And he wants to give you the willing heart. Interesting, I was thinking about why were they willing after they were so sinful? When we have a great purpose, when we have spiritual people around us, and we do, when we have a great congregation, when God puts spiritual things in your life, we have that deep, innate willingness. It's in there. It's in you. I believe each of us is fundamentally willing to please God. Now, we have a sinful nature within this as well that is warring against it. But there is something in us that says, I want to do something great. And we've seen it time and time again. I want to hold up one more time the married congregation because you know what we had in here? We had a ton of willing married couples to host people from the Middle East when they came over back in July. Opening up their homes, driving miles, spending money and time and energy. What a blessing to say, wow, we are a church of willing hearts. God's calling us to continue that, to overcome your bad day that you might have had, to be willing to host, to be willing to serve, to be willing to do great things. As a congregation, sky is the limit. God is simply looking for willing hearts. One thing we need willing hearts, I'm going to put it out there before the congregation, is the Middle East Conference has come and gone. And we are starting a Middle East outreach, and we've had Bible talks going on at the Rocks Home every Thursday night. And what we realize we need is we need the Holy Spirit to put it on some of your hearts to commit your life to the Middle East outreach right here. We're having Bible talk at the Rocks House, and we need a few of you who have willing hearts to say, this will be my ministry for at least a year. I, I will be invested. I will go to every Bible talk. I will do all my studies. I will be tied into that. I need one of you. Mike and I both need uh, one of you to lead it. We need somebody. Mike's going to help coordinate and be involved, no question. But somebody here, we need to ask you, are you willing to say, I'm going to step up, and, and maybe you're a current Bible talk leader, a family group leader, but the Holy Spirit is putting it on you. Maybe you want to be a Bible talk leader, like some of these campus guys, hey, make me an assistant. If you have the Spirit, if the Spirit's you know, prompting you, please come and talk to me, come and talk to Carrie, come and talk to Mike and Libby, they'll be back this week. We need willing hearts, because our plan is to build the Middle East ministry starting right here in the Inland Empire. But if somebody doesn't deliberately commit doesn't deliberately say, that, that is my calling. I'm going to get involved. And you can't do it part-time. Any ministry that's going to be successful, you've got to be all in. Right? When you're in the team ministry, we expect you to be all in. You're, you're, not in any other, you're not in another ministry. You're in the team ministry. If you're in the campus ministry, you're in the campus ministry. If you're in somebody's Bible talk, you're not in two or three Bible talks at once. You're welcome to visit at times. But all of us need to belong to one ministry. We need to belong to something, to build something. We have skills and gifts. And God's looking for us to be willing to be invested in one ministry. Pouring our life out for that ministry. Following through with that ministry. Because then he begins to bless. Amen? But what makes us unwilling? How do we get such willful hearts? Some of us have not only bad days. 
We have bad weeks. Some of us have bad months. Some of us have bad years. I heard one preacher say, I had a bad decade. You ever heard about that? I heard, I heard a preacher show that one of ours in our fellowship, he showed, man, I had a bad decade. He had an unspiritual decade. The great thing is he repented. He's doing awesome. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. But we can have a bad day. We can have a bad decade. Why? What happens? Let me tell you what destroys us. Sin. It's pretty simple. Scriptures teach that Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. But it is sin that gives you a bad day. Why was I having a bad day? I didn't want to do the good I know I needed to do. And that, it says in James 4, 17, is sin. Anyone who doesn't do the good he knows he ought to do, sins. Sin. It hardens our heart and makes us willful. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I'm going to give you my second point for the day. And it's simply this. Smash the stones of sin. Smash the stones of sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, go over there and we're going to go back here as the Israelites are our model right now. We find that God warns them. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses is writing and talking about God's plan. And I want you to see here in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy what he says. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. Now, let's stop right there. Remember, the Bible says everything that was written in the past was designed to encourage and strengthen and educate us. It all has spiritual parallels to your walk with God, to how you're living today. This is the Bible of the first century church. As Nick shared in the welcome, how they devoted themselves. Yes, the apostles preached the word that Jesus had shared, but Jesus himself read the Old Testament. He read these words of Moses and knew them inside and out. Spiritually speaking, it is the Lord our God who brings us into the land of hope. And he's the one that drove out these nations stronger. What are the nations? The nations that are residing in your heart. The nations of sin that are residing in your heart. And he drives them out. He demonstrates to you why they are wrong. He shows you through the cross. Right? The cross demonstrates to us how sinful sin really is. How damaging it is. How much it hurts. And it makes us want to change. Also, our sin itself just begins to depress us, right? I didn't have, when I had a bad day, I didn't, I didn't like my day. Why? Because I, I didn't do the good I know I needed to do. I felt bad. It's intended that you would feel bad when you sin. That's how God made you. So you won't do it again. But he drives these things out of us. And he says, he says, he's going to drive them out even though they're stronger than you. Without God, we can't do it. And then in verse 2 he says, And when the Lord your God has delivered you, delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you. And will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do to them. 
break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Smash the sins, the stones of sin. That is how you can keep a willing heart. But there's stones, there's sacred stones that each of us has. To overcome, to even become a Christian, we have to admit those stones. We have to say, yes, get rid of these stones. The challenge is those stones want to lodge back in our heart even after we say Jesus is Lord. And for those of us that haven't said Jesus Lord, repent and been baptized, you know, they, they are just controlling your life. The stones of sins are controlling our life. What are some of these stones? Well, you got the stone of compromise. Right? He says, don't make a treaty with these people, these ungodly people. And we make compromises too easily. In fact, as some of us even study the Bible, we're always looking for a way to not have to take it to full distance. So many times I study the Bible uh, over the years with, with singles or, or college men. And they want to cut corners. I remember one brother was uh, living with uh, non-Christian women. And I challenged him, you, you got to move out. He didn't want to do it. Oh, it's no, it's fine. No, you got to move out. Well, I'm not being impure. I'm not being, I'm not being immoral. Okay, but you're in a bad situation. And it's not beyond reproach. And it's not godly. It's a stone. It's a compromise to cut corners in that area. Those that smash that stone become Christians, and several that I studied with did, even some from among us here today, and some that won't smash that stone, they don't make it. Compromises will destroy you. Compromises will lead you astray. Compromises in who's saved and who's lost. you got to be clear. You know, we're not the judge of the universe, but we get to make a judgment about what we think it really takes to be right with God or not right with God. We're not the final judge. God is. But you have to make a judgment to have a conviction so you know what to even teach people. When's the last time you did a Bible study on who's lost and who's saved? Based on your knowledge of the scriptures, based on the blueprint of how you become a Christian, and then held yourself up to it. That's a challenging study. But is there anything more important than evaluating eternal life? Is there anything more important than figuring out? You know, we can't compromise our convictions about, you know, what we think. We, you know, I'd like to be wrong and, that, you know, I'd like everybody to just be in heaven when I die. But the Bible's clear. It's a narrow road. Few find it. Smash the stone of compromise in your heart. You know, another stone in our heart is the stone of relationship. That's maybe, I've seen 22 years of being a disciple, the thing that destroys faith is girls, or if you're a guy or a girl, it's, it's guys. It's relationships. It's ungodly relationships. You see right there, over and over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it talks about stay away from people relationally and romantically is what he's talking about, who are, are not equal to you in their faith, who are not totally devoted to God. Stay away from those who may seem like they have some kind of godliness, 
but they're not faithful to Jehovah God, do not intermarry with them. Do not connect to them. Do not emotionally and romantically intertwine with them because they will lead you astray. It says right there, early on in the Bible, and it's the same lesson for us today. I know that's a strong temptation for us to want a relationship for a man or a woman, to want that romantic, to want that comfort. It's a strong temptation. God did make us to be in relationships with each other. But he's very clear. If you're going to fall in love romantically with somebody, they need to be disciples of Jesus. Do not even entertain the thought. Do not even get close to the thought. I remember Carrie coming out to a retreat back in 1992. And I thought she was pretty. I was a disciple. She was not. And I thought, well, she's pretty, but I hope she studies the Bible. I can't say I wasn't hoping. I wanted her to become a disciple. But in my heart, I knew to draw strong lines. You know, at that retreat, I smiled at her a few times and gave her a hug when I met her. And I saw her the retreat. I saw her the first night. You know what? We didn't even talk the rest of the retreat. It wasn't like I was weaseling ways in order to get more time to talk to her. Yes, I wanted a pretty awesome young woman to become a disciple of Jesus. I didn't know what that meant for me. I knew what God would use her to do great things. I thought, well, I'm just another great sister. I could get encouraged and take out. I hope she makes it. And yes, when she ended up coming back out to church in midweeks, which I was happy to see the girls got her on out. I made sure I fellowshiped her and asked her how she was doing. <laughs> but I did it with a heart that was definitely committed to how are you doing with God. I remember her doing some unspiritual things, and I told on her. <laughs> she did some unspiritual things, and I told on her to the girls, hey, do you know she's doing such and such? I heard this is going on. And they're like, yeah, we know. We're dealing with it. We're dealing with it. I'm like, okay, good. You know, it's normal. We want, we want great people to become disciples. But we've got to draw a line when it comes to any romantic interest at all. We've got to be very strong in our convictions. We don't cross lines. And if you know in your spirit there's a weakness in you that you are tempted to cross the line, you stay miles away. Carrie was very spiritual. It wasn't manipulative or, or in, in that way. Even her weakness at that time wasn't to, to be a, a flirty person. It, she, was, she was eager to be right with God. It was, it was in her. Some of us aren't that way. Some men are very flirty. Some women are very flirty. And if you know that's one of your, your predispositions, stay away from anyone not spiritual. and Stay away. The Bible is so clear. This can destroy. Smash the stone. Stone of improper relationships. Amen. You know, you got to smash the stone. There's, it talks about the sacred stones. What's sacred to you? Smash the sacred stones. Is money the most important thing to you? Have you fallen prey to America? Has the American dream become your hope and desire? Yesterday, uh, the family, for several hours, went out to the beach. It was a beautiful day yesterday. We drove on down and had dinner and went down to the, actually the, the exact place where Carrie and I got baptized on Rosecrans in the beach right in Manhattan Beach. Both of us were baptized there. And we pointed that out. Hey, kids, we were baptized right there. And they're like, oh, that's cool, Dad. And where are we going? You know, like, 
They cared. I'm not, I don't want to throw them under the bus. But it, it was just fun. You know, it was like remembering. I was like, and I was telling stories that I've told before to all the kids and my wife. She's like, I've heard that one before. I heard that one before. Okay, well, this is where this happened. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. Okay, okay. But when I got down there, it was so beautiful. I thought, oh, it's so beautiful. Look at these. You know, it's just so nice. After being there about two hours, I remember, oh, yeah, and I remember why I became a Christian. This place is worldly. The American dream is flashed in front of everyone's eyes right there in those rich beach cities. Uh, all the UCLA and USC grads are mulling around in their BMWs and acting like they are really happy. And yet, underneath, you can see the emptiness. There's a darkness. There's a superficiality to our world. The American dream is fake. It's so fake. I felt the fakeness. I sense the glitz and the glam and, and everybody trying to look beautiful. And then something else happened while we were down there. We were walking back up uh, to go to dinner. And we saw a woman in her car and she was sort of leaning over the steering wheel. And a couple guys had noticed and they were like banging on the window. They, they thought maybe she had fallen asleep or passed out. And so we noticed, we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And she was right there down on the beach, right in her car parked real close to the pier and you know, it was a nice car. She seemed like, you know, a girl that had it all together. She was sleeping. And then we pan- she woke up, and the first thing she did is shows us the Bible. And we're like, okay, well, and then the other guys go, oh, I got the Bible. I guess you're fine. So they walked away. And we're like, well, we're ministers. We had our- she got a Bible. We better go talk to her, figure out what's going on. And we sensed something was wrong. So, we- so Carrie knocked on the window so that she, you know, would feel like more, it'd be easier to approach a woman. And she did that. She rolled down the window and we asked her, can we help? She was crying. And she started to share that, her, you know, her family hates her. Uh, you could tell she, you know, she had been on the beach. And, she, you know, she was an athletic, beautiful woman that, that looked like her life was a wreck. You could tell she was living that, that, that veneer of life, the exterior. The exterior at first, it looked okay. But underneath there was darkness. And she was crying. And she said, you know, my I, my boyfriend and I broke up, and she just wouldn't stop crying, and, and she wasn't really coherent. There was there was something else wrong. We could tell there was, we you know we're not sure exactly, but to me it seemed like there were issues. As we talked, you know, she shared her brother, her, her boyfriend had been on crystal meth, addicted to crystal meth, maybe the most damaging drug in our generation. It's destroying lives. If you have any family members connected to that, just run for the hills. Tell them just do anything you can to get it away from them. It's destroying people in our generation. So the veneer was, oh, everything's good. It looks pretty. Everything's great. That's how the people acted down there. But here was this woman parked right there in her nice car, empty and dark and distressed, didn't know what to do. We're like, can we help you? A police officer comes by right then. He's like, hey, what's going on? Apparently these guys told uh, the police officer about her. And she was like, I'm not giving you my ID. She was scared and petrified and didn't want to say, who are you? You're just a parking cop. You you can't have my ID. And we tried to encourage her. Just let, He just wants to make sure you're okay. Are you okay? We have friends. You know, we knew we have an awesome edge ministry down or a singles ministry down in the beach cities. I thought, man, Marco's got 200 singles down here. Somebody certainly can reach out to them. Ruthie's down here. Somebody can help her. Hey, give me your number. We'll help you. And she wasn't really open to that. She said, no, I'll be fine. And she, she was just not really coherent. So we gave her, you know, my card. Carrie put her number. said, please call us. Please call us. We'll help you. I hope she calls us. The world is fake. What you see, it's, 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 just, it's just a facade. It's a facade. There are stones of darkness, 
of sin, greed, and what you look like. The stone of my appearance is my, my, my security. It's a lie. The stone of having a relationship, it's a lie. The stone of the American dream, it's a lie. You've got to smash the stones of sin. You've got to eradicate them out of your life, whatever it takes. And I remember myself when I was in my early 20s, just living that facade of a life, trying to look good, having my sports car, living right there, right down by the beach in Manhattan Beach. And I was so empty, empty because my, I had no real purpose You know, we're needed. Amen? We're needed. You're needed. Everywhere you go, you are needed. Everywhere you look, there are hurting people. Just peel off the facade and realize you are needed. Every one of us in here. You are needed to have a willing heart because God intends to change this world. And he needs you to have the willing heart. But you can't let yourself fall back into all this garbage. And you've got to totally eradicate the sin out of your life. Totally eradicate it. You cannot compromise. And that means total honesty. You must be honest. You cannot think that... Now, here's the thing that's getting a lot of people. I've run across this in our own congregation. We sin. Some of us have a bad day, and instead of just not doing you know, a project that you need to do, which is sin... We sin grievously. We do things that we would never have imagined. We sin horribly. Some of us in here have done that. We do disgusting things. We do illegal things. We do things that are perverted and disgusting and shouldn't even be mentioned. I want to urge you on your bad day, don't do that. Go watch a cartoon or something. Go eat a bowl of ice cream or something. Call a friend. Do anything to get through your bad day. Go pray. Go walk. Go do something. Schedule something at your house so you'll pull out of it. But don't destroy your life by doing something you can't change. That you're going to have to deal with the repercussions for for years. And if you've done something like that, get open. Get open. Please get open. If you don't get open, it will come out. And the damage will multiply. If you don't get open... It's going to come out. We're not playing a game. Walking with God and serving God is not a game. There is life and death. There is heaven and hell. Jesus is real. You cannot run from him. He's watching. He's the truth. He knows you. Just get open and begin to heal. To get that willing heart back. Amen. You know, let me show you how to get the heart back. We're going to skip down to Psalm chapter 51. Go to Psalm 51. We know a man who sinned grievously, and he's one of the great kings of Israel. Right? David. Slayer of Goliath. A man after God's own heart. And yet David had a bad day and had sex with Bathsheba. Sinned. Horribly, then killed her husband. Horrible sin. And he suffered for it. And the ramifications for that sin went on. The thing is, I believe David's in heaven. David's going to be with God at the end of all days. He'll, he'll be with us. He repented, but he sinned grievously. But we find in Psalm 51, 
Him talking about having a willing spirit. And if you've sinned grievously, there is hope because of the grace of God and because of the cross. And we find in Psalm 51, David praying after he had been rebuked for his sin, after it came on out. And he says in verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Skip down to verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You can change no matter where you've been at. I believe deep down there's a willingness to do what is good in us. But we're going to have to own our sin. We have to smash the stones of sin. We've got to eradicate them. We've got to run from sin. You've got to clear it out of your life. And you've got to surround yourself with those with willing hearts. And if you have sinned, you've got to ask God to restore to you the joy of your salvation and to grant you a willing spirit. He can grant that. Through confession and repentance, he'll grant you that willing spirit. Isn't that what we want? A willingness to, to do great things that can change this world. Let's not be willful. Let's not fight God. But let's see God inspire all of us to have a willing heart to start new ministries, to serve existing ministries, to build this Middle East ministry, to build up each one of our separate ministries. Let's have a willingness. Smash those stones and have a willing spirit. Amen. I love you guys.